Views and opinions expressed by the hosts are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of their employers. This podcast may not be suitable for children. Adults may find details triggering and or offensive. Listener's discretion is advised. Hi everyone, this is Norma. And this is Priscilla. And you're listening to It's the Mystery for Me. Welcome back to It's the Mystery for Me, y'all. We have a new case for y'all today. Apologies for the last week. Norma keeps getting sick. Norma, stop getting sick. I know. I got to start taking my vitamins. Literally. She got the (laughs) flu. Like, you just had COVID. Mm -hmm. Then you get the flu. I can't go near you. You have the equipment. Mm -hmm. I was running closing, like, a part of the closing for my job, which is, like, basically a big deal. I could not risk getting sick, y'all. Like... Take your vitamins, Norma. I'm surprised because you be eating vitamins for fun. I don't really take vitamins anymore. Really? Mm-hmm. You used to take more than the recommended, like yeah. three, because yeah. it tasted good. Those gummy vitamins <laughs> be having me in a chokehold. <laughs> oh, we know. We know. Um, we just posted a funny TikTok slash Instagram reel to that really popular sound on TikTok, which is... White tea, white tea. tea. What does, how does it say? It's like, if you're white. Oh, if you're black? Wait, if you're black, nothing for you. Yeah, okay, yeah. If you're white, there's something for you. Right. In the world, the white is the black is true. Sorry, you guys. But you guys made me laugh. Someone commented, like, how much did you pay Norma (laughs) to do this? Because y'all know our good sis Norma does not like to be on camera. She really doesn't. Yeah. Well, she didn't have to pay me anything because it was my idea. Yes, I literally was like, Norma, we need to do some sort of like meme, but like a TikTok slash Instagram reel. And she was like, oh, what about this song? Mm -hmm. And immediately I was like, yes, let's do it. So yeah, you're welcome. (laughs) You get to see Norma a little bit more. Hopefully she does more videos. I will. Because the people want to see you, Norma. I think you're their favorite. You think so? The favorite on problematic sister <laughs> who doesn't interrupt people or talk about other random materialistic things, apparently. I did miss you on the last episode, though. You did? Mm-hmm. Exactly. I listened to it on the... Oh, my God, y'all. Um, Uber Eats stuff going off in the background. But I listened to it on my drive home from somewhere. I forgot where I was coming from, but it was going to take me about an hour And I was like, look at Norma. Because, you know, from where we started, where you were kind of afraid to actually lead your own episode, and Mm -hmm. I led pretty much, what, the first 40 or so episodes? Yeah. And then we started, finally, you did one week, I did one week, and blah, blah, blah. And now to you doing a solo episode, I was like, slow clapping for you. I was like, look at that. And this, you know, the solo episodes, it's not normally what we do. I know I did one, right? 
way early on mm-hmm. and it was because you weren't feeling well and you did one and I had just a lot going on at work that week so I appreciate you for stepping up I know everybody listening appreciates you for stepping up and I was honestly on my like the edge of my seat during the entire episode I was like who is D who is D right? yes Magic. That's why I felt like I really wanted you there. Right. Because it was just such a crazy episode. I'm like, oh, Priscilla's going to have a ton of questions for me. Yes. I'm not going to be able to get a word out. Oh, I was in the <laughs> car asking questions to myself. Okay. <laughs> and then you ended up like answering them. But, um, you know, what was really tough to hear was the fact that her parents had no idea, and neither did she, that he had gotten out of prison. Mm-hmm. Right. So they couldn't be proactive in her safety. Right. And protecting her. So that was that was wild. Yeah. And there needs to be some sort of notification systems. Like I know some states have it. Some don't. But there has they might have it now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that is that was a while ago. But yeah, Mm -hmm. just some thoughts. But um, what else? We've also been approached recently to do, like, different documentaries and stuff. Like, I don't know. Would you guys want to see us in a Tubi documentary? (laughs) Would you want to see us? Um, You know, they haven't, like, gone through yet, but it's really cool to see people approaching us and saying that they are intrigued by what we do and love what we do. They love that we're bringing attention to these cases. It's nice to see it all come full circle. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's all because of you guys, because you guys come back and you listen every week um, and the family just keeps growing and growing and growing. So, oh, I also wanted to kind of mention our BuzzFeed numbers because, not BuzzFeed, what's a Buzzsprout? Mm-hmm. As of the recording of this episode, we've gotten almost 800,000 downloads. Wow. Yes, which is wild, like since we started and it totally would be more if we didn't take off time and then you know yeah but i'm excited to see what's to come because the fact that like you know people have listened that many times that's wild because i don't know 800,000 people and i mean it doesn't mean 800,000 people but still i, I still don't know that many people mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's really really cool and i'm excited to hit the million mark when do you think we'll hit it It'd be cool to hit it before the new year. That'd be cool. Let's see. Stay tuned and find out on the next episode. (laughs) Well, (laughs) the last episode of the year. So without further ado, we're going to go ahead and turn to this week's case, which I am hosting. I haven't hosted in in a minute, I feel like, right? It's been a minute. Yeah, I feel like it's been a while. Yeah. Things have been crazy busy, but I have a case for you guys today and... I don't think we've done something like this. So, yeah, just hold on. Hold on to your seats, y'all. Hold on to your seats. All right. So, for sources, I watched an episode from a series called Where Murder Lies. It was season one, episode three. I looked at a bunch of different articles, mostly from, like, local newspapers in North Carolina. And I also looked at court documents. So for a full list of sources, check out our website, it's themysteryforme.com, or click the link in the show notes. This episode takes us back to 2008 in Durham, North Carolina. Durham. It's Durham, Durham, right? Okay. I can't say it, y'all. I can't say it. Durham, North Carolina. There you go. All right. This is the case of Latrice Curtis. 
Latrice Curtis was born on May 28th of 1986 to Sherman and Cynthia Jones. Latrice had a brother, but not much is known about him other than he was married and had five children in 2008. Latrice was most definitely a daddy's girl, and her dad, Sherman, appears on the show Where Murder Lies to give further details about this. And by the way, the show was aired in 2021. He said she was referred to as a little boy in a dress because of their close bond. They went fishing a lot. He taught her how to play basketball, all of that stuff. And by the way, her parents are still married, but the show places a lot of emphasis on her relationship with her dad. So you'll hear me mostly talk about him throughout this episode. Does her mom make an appearance on the show? No, she does not. Her friends described her as somebody who was very charismatic, loving, always smiling, and ready to have a great time. And her dad on the show says that by the time it was time for her to go to college, when he dropped her off, he was crying like a baby. And when you see her dad, you're like, no way this man is crying. You know, he, he was wearing this like black outfit. He had some gold chains on. He looked real cool. I'm not gonna <laughs> lie to y'all. He looked real cool. But he was like, I was crying like a baby. And so was she, because that was my baby. And it kind of makes sense because she was the only daughter, right? So Latrice attended North Carolina Central University where she was studying accounting. This is located in Durham, North Carolina. She also worked part-times at Sears. And you know what's interesting? And at least one other case we covered, this school comes up, and it's in the Danita Smith case. So a very quick recap of that. Danita was engaged to Jamal. I think he was a police officer, and she was killed in front of her apartment building. And it turned out that a woman named Shannon killed her, and Shannon was, like, having an affair with Jamal or something like that. Mm -hmm. That happened in January of 2007. So Danita was a graduate student at the university around the same time that Latrice was attending as an undergrad. Oh, wow. And apparently it's the same campus. So I'm like, what are the chances that they cross paths? You know, Mm -hmm. listen, we cross paths with people all the time and never know. But I was just like, I got chills thinking about it. All right, so I'll continue. So during her junior year, she randomly got married to a man named Darren Curtis, who was in the National Guard. One of the articles said that he actually went to Iraq. So he had he had been through it. Um, and he was now just kind of stationed at home and focused on getting an education and getting married, which apparently is like very popular in the army. I see TikTok videos making fun of the fact that like army people like to get married. Yeah, they got married very young. Like, very young. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Um, But this completely shocked her friends, especially her best friend, Kim. On the show, you can tell Kim's mind is spinning about several things that she learned about Latrice that didn't come from Latrice's own mouth. And we'll get back to that in a bit. But overall, Darren was respectful. Kim said that. uh, Latrice's dad said, like, he seemed respectful and stuff. But... This might be shocking, or maybe it's not shocking. Latrice's dad did not know that she had gotten married. Oh, huh. Right, and they're super close, right? So her mom didn't know either. This was like a secret that she kept, and she just came into school one day with a ring on her hand, and that's how she told her friend. But like, then she called her dad and told him, and he felt some type of way. Okay, he felt some type of way, and... He was not shy of saying, of talking about it on the show. He said it did not sit well with him 
that Darren did not ask for, you know, his permission to marry mm-hmm. his daughter. Again, when you see her dad, you just know he's that type of old school dude where it's like, what's right is right. And so he kind of expected that from whoever his daughter was going to marry. Right. Um, and of, of course, he also had beef with Latrice about this. And he said, like, man, all the calls between them, like, sometimes there would be a lot of tension. He said sometimes he would just, like, be like, ugh, on the phone. Like, wouldn't even say anything. He was just so frustrated that his little girl had done this and not told her parents. Like, how could you not tell me? How could you not tell your mom? Latrice and Darren lived in Raleigh, North Carolina, which is about 30 minutes away from the campus. Um, But that's okay because she had her own car, a white car. So she was able to get back and forth with no problem. In January of 2008, it is Latrice's senior year, and she is now 21 years old. January 30th, 2008 started out like any other day, sort of. At 2 a.m., Latrice's best friend gets a call from Latrice. Latrice never calls her this late, by the way. But when she, you know, picks up the phone, it's silent. She just hears cars passing and someone walking on gravel. She eventually hangs up and goes to sleep. But you can tell on this show, you could just tell she feels like a lot of like guilt, a lot of just like mixed feelings. At 7 a.m., a witness driving by I-540, I guess that's a highway in North Carolina, near the Buffalo Road exit, spots what he believes to be a female's body, and he calls it in. When police get to the scene, they find that the body is that of a black woman. There's a car on the side of the road, too, a white car. It's Latrice. Mm -hmm. She has been stabbed all over her body about 40 times, 14 of which was to her chest. A forensic pathologist says that her arms were likely pinned down because she did not have defensive wounds. She was pronounced dead at the scene and a blue tarp was placed over her body. According to court documents, her throat had been cut and she had sustained approximately 40 stab wounds to her face head, neck, and torso. She also suffered from blunt force injury to her head behind her right ear. It sounds definitely like a crime of passion. It does sound like that. Like someone that she knows because it just sounds like overkill. I 100% agree with you. (laughs) But yeah. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. According to an article from WRAL News, the cause of death was the puncture wounds caused by a sharp object. So to her chest? It didn't specify if it was to her chest or all over her body. Mm -hmm. One officer who appears on the show says that when she got there, it looked as if like the blood had been drained from her body. Like she just looked so pale. So maybe it was like the combination of all the stab wounds. But I mean, 13 to the chest might do it. And there was an article that said that she had stab wounds even in her head. So you can only imagine, you know, but nonetheless, it was stab wounds that had killed her. Detectives noticed that her car seats were drenched in blood. And of course they retrieved DNA from all places within the car and outside the car, including the steering wheel. At around the same time, Darren, her husband, places a call to 911 reporting Latrice missing. 
He also drives along the highway to look for her. Why would he do that? Because he has actually spoken to her the night before, and she said she was on her way home. Okay, and, and we'll get to that in a bit. He spots her white car, but officers do not want to confirm anything to him at the scene. But of course, he sees the blue tarp and a blue tarp on the side of the highway near, you know, your wife's car. Mm-hmm. I think you could put two and two together. Do you know what time they were on the phone when she had called him to say she was going home? Around 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. But we'll get into the timeline. Okay. So Sherman, her dad, had been calling Latrice, but it's unclear if Darren had called him to ask if Latrice was there. I did read in one of the articles that Darren assumed that maybe Latrice stayed at her parents' house. But again, it wasn't, I wasn't entirely sure that that's why her dad was calling. Maybe they talked every day. Either way, there's no answer. Okay. And then he calls her school and they tell him to call or go to the sheriff's office and that that was all they could say. Can you imagine looking for your child and, and hearing something like that? I mean, my mind oh my would gosh. go to like a million places. So he hops in the car with his wife. They rush to the sheriff's office. Sorry, say this again. So he tried calling Latrice first. Yes. Did he try to call Darren? I think he did try to call Darren. I think he did speak to Darren and realize at that point that she was missing. Okay, I see. And he did also see the news, but he didn't see her car, but he saw like breaking news and he's like, oh man, someone like died. Right. Oh my goodness. Yes. Okay. Um, So he gets to the sheriff's office and they sit him and his wife down and they tell them that the body found on I-540 was that of their daughter, Latrice. And as you can imagine, they were in shock. Their daughter murdered how, why, and who, right? Who did this? Because Latrice was married, it was her husband who identified her body. Her parents were not allowed to see her at that point in time which is wild because they were not considered next of kin because she was married. Oh, okay. While at the station, Darren was actually there too. And her dad said he never heard from Darren after that and that Darren didn't even come out to talk to them. Now, why would he do that? That's... Don't know. Don't know. I mean, at the same time, I don't know if there was previous tension between Darren and the parents... Sure, but if Latrice is dead, she's been murdered, shouldn't that be swept under the rug as far as like any type of tension? Mm. You know, like, I don't know, but the dad was pissed. Pissed, okay? So of course, the police interview Darren, you know, and we kind of expect that. The detective on the show says outright that she never suspected Darren. He acted like someone who was in shock, like a grieving husband. Still, of course, they must do their due diligence. Darren says that he spoke to Latrice on the night of January 29th, 2008, and she says she was on her way home. He was waiting up for her, but he dozed off, and he ends up waking up around 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. So again, she talks to him at around like 10.30 at night. Okay. Latrice's dad... Honestly, maybe y'all should watch this episode because her dad is like worth watching. But he is truly annoyed by 
this in particular. And let me tell you why. He said he would never, ever go to sleep if his wife was supposed to be home but didn't come home. He said he would have gone out looking for his wife. So he was extremely disappointed that Darren did the exact opposite when it came to his precious daughter. And again, her dad's very old school, you know. But I like this, you know, the protector. Mm -hmm. Like, realistically, you could have waited up. Like, Durham to rally to give you guys some sort of, like, idea timing-wise, 30 minutes. And she was coming from Durham. Mm. So, mm, you know. I mean, if you're feeling sleepy like that, set an alarm. Right. You oh, well, it was a different time. It was a different time. This is 2008. I mean, shit, you could still set it on your clock, holding <laughs> down certain buttons, right? <laughs> but you could you could set it, you know, yeah. you could set a damn alarm. Whew. So I was with her dad on this one. You know, I need a husband who's going to wait up for me. But I don't know. I digress. Mm-hmm. Of course, Darren does not have an alibi because he was home by himself in their marital home. But police still let him go. And later that morning, they get a call from a state trooper. At 1.30 a.m. on January 30th, so it's still the same day, okay, that her body was found. So earlier in the wee hours of the morning, this trooper said he spotted two cars on the side of the road, exactly where the crime scene was. The trooper is not on the show, but it is said that he got out and he checked the car. One was a white car and behind it was a Jeep. So he's walking up to the car and he stops at the Jeep because that would have been the first car he gets to, right? Mm. He looks inside, no one's in it. But at that moment, he gets called away to something else as he's about to walk to Latrice's car. But, drum roll please, he writes down the license plates for both vehicles. Ooh. So when he's hearing about this and about, you know, the car on the side and someone being murdered, he calls it in and he gives them the license plate to both cars. Of course, they know which one is for Latrice's car, but the other one comes back to Robert Reeves. What the hell is that? (laughs) That's what I said. Robert Reeves is a bishop at a local church in Durham, North Carolina. They bring him in for questioning. It's still the same day. It's like 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Robert is in his 50s. Her dad's on the show, and he's like, why is my daughter interacting with a 50-something-year-old? Like, Mm -hmm. what? And he works at the church. Like, what's going on here? Anyways, cops tell him that his car was at the scene of a crime in the wee hours of the morning. He's confused and says that it's literally impossible. He had been at church from around 8 p.m. and returned home at about 10 p.m. He cooperates with police and allows them to take photographs, DNA, and fingerprints. And by the way, Darren also allows that to happen as well. The police asked him what his connection was to Latrice. Eventually, they they give him the details like, well, this girl was murdered. And he's like, oh, wait a minute. My roommate is this 21-year-old college student slash basketball star at the same college as Latrice. His name is Stephen Randolph, and actually he would have Latrice over sometimes. What? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, you guys, it turns out that Latrice was having a full-blown affair with Steven. On the show, her best friend Kim is visibly thrown by this. How could Latrice leave this out? She never told anyone about this. But do you tell your best friend everything? Do you tell Alyssa everything? I think so. I don't think so, because there would be times like, you know, mom and dad would be fighting. You'd be like, well, she doesn't have to know about that. Oh, I mean, that... Or yes like and no, but stuff. if it pertains to my family, I no, I don't talk about my family. Oh, I, I sing like a canary. I know you do. Yeah, I sure do. <laughs> um, for I don't know. I tell my bestie everything. No, I feel like family is off the table. Unless it's something that like pertains to me in some way that I feel like I they mean, need to know. Yeah, I mean, it somehow oh, pertains yes. to me. I'm not just sharing the tea either, but... Or maybe I am. I don't know. Anyways, mm-hmm. here's the other part of this. Steven had access to Robert's car because his had been out of service lately. His tires had actually been slashed and it was too much money to repair immediately. Slash? Yeah. like he piss off? I don't know. In December of 2007. Anyways, understanding that Steven needed to go to practice and school, Robert okayed the use of his car and Steven didn't have to ask him prior to him using it. Robert says that Steven did not have much money and that he allowed him to live there for a reduced rent, something around $300 a month. Apparently they met at like a car wash nearby and Robert struck up a conversation with him and he kind of let him know, hey, I need a place to stay. And so he had been staying with Robert since spring of 2007. So now it's January 2008. Mm. Then Robert drops another bombshell. He says that Latrice was over their house the night before on January 29th, 2008. So now the cops bring Stephen in. Stephen is also cooperative. He allows police to take photographs, DNA fingerprints as well. He admits that he knew Latrice was married. The kicker, Stephen also had a girlfriend. Her name is Velma. Prior to the tragic murder of Latrice, Stephen says he and his girlfriend had been getting strange phone calls. According to court documents in October 2007, his girlfriend Velma got a call where the caller said that they would end Stephen's basketball career and break his legs. The caller also said that she needed to tell her boyfriend to stop doing whatever he was doing. Explains the slash tires for sure. Right. I don't know. So Velma says the caller sounded like a young man. And here's the other thing. The call came from a private number. All the calls did because there were a few of them over a period of time. Yes. Steven went to Velma's house that night of that first phone call. It's not clear if he was there when the call happened, but when he left, kind of like how you said, all of his tires were slashed. In December of 2007, Velma gets another call. This time, the person is apologizing for slashing Stephen's tires. By the way, because it's slashed, like he starts to use Robert's car. Here's the strange part about all of this. When Velma gets off the call, she goes outside and all four of her tires are slashed. So they call to apologize <laughs> for slashing Stephen's tires. And but now she, hers are slashed. But now hers are slashed. This sounds very bizarre. It's so bizarre and like messed up. Can you imagine? She's probably on the phone like, okay, don't worry about it. She goes outside. Her tires are slashed. It's like, 
okay, they're playing. They're playing around now. Hmm. I wonder who this could be. Like, I wonder if it's Darren has caught on to the affair and he means business. I don't Starts know. slashing tires, threatening to break his legs. Maybe. When Steven gets his tires slashed in October, he calls Robert and lets him know. And Robert said, hey, there was actually someone here like ringing the doorbell and running away. And Steven's like, uh, okay, so I'm going to stay at Velma's house tonight. I'm not coming home. <laughs> so yeah, this had been going on and this, you know, had him on edge. On the night of January 29th, 2008, Latrice goes over to Steven's house. They get it popping. And during all the action, the condom comes off inside of Latrice. This sends them both into a frenzy. Latrice is supposed to go home to her husband, Darren, and she can't show up with a condom inside of her. And what about pregnancy? They were both freaking out, but they could not get the condom out no matter what they did. According to court documents, they leave the house at around 10 p.m. with Latrice heading home to her husband, where they live in Raleigh, Mm -hmm. and Steven heads over to Velma's house. I'm not sure if Latrice knew that he had a girlfriend, though. That's never confirmed in the sources that I saw. Mm. Stephen somehow talks to Latrice on the phone after 10 p.m. when they both kind of go their separate ways. And they are talking about the condom situation. During that call, though, Latrice also tells him that she'd like to take things further. I'm not sure, first of all, how he's even having this conversation with his girlfriend around. That's very bold because he's at his girlfriend's house. Right. And also, it's unclear what she meant by further, but presumably maybe a relationship, which means divorcing Darren and him breaking up with Velma. Mm. If she knew he had a girlfriend, I don't know, but you know, you know what I mean? Things would have to happen for them to come together. Steven leaves Velma's house after 1 a.m. and gets home at around 1.30 a.m. He sets the alarm and he goes to sleep. Robert's sister, Willie Mae, also lives there. But according to court documents, she does not hear Stephen come in, but she does hear him in the bathroom at 7 a.m. the next morning. Next, the police ask him about his relationship to Robert, and he explains how they met in the spring of 2007 and that Robert offered him reduced rent. And so he moves in with Robert and Willie May, specifically to the basement. A few months into the living arrangement, Robert asked him if he ever thought about being a male escort. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Wait, isn't Robert a pastor? Yes, he's a bishop. What? <laughs> so it took a turn. I know, I know. Okay. He says that Stephen can make really great money. And so Stephen is a little bit intrigued by this. According to the show, Robert says, well, I need to see what you're working with first. And Stephen drops his pants. Then Robert does something completely unexpected. He tries to fondle Stephen, which freaks Stephen out. Robert says to Stephen, as he's trying to calm him down, you know, you, you might have male clients. So that's why this is happening. Either way, Stephen leaves and he asks his cousin for a gun and he sleeps with the gun <laughs> under his pillow after that. That's wild. But he still lives in the house. And it's not clear when this happened. Remember, he 
he moves in in the spring. So let's say like April or May. When does spring start? I don't know. Whenever spring starts. And it's like, you know, whatever. It's sometime around there, maybe in the fall. Okay. Despite all of this, Stephen continues to live there. I mean, would you blame him though? $300 a month in rent. I was saying you know, he's getting a it deal. It sounds real great. Mm-hmm. So he's like, mm. I knew it. I was like, what's the catch? Right. Um, but hey, because he's for the church, you would think, you know, sometimes people are just doing things out of the goodness right, of their heart, right? right? So yeah. I'm not thinking it's a catch. Even though Stephen clearly rejected Robert's advances, it doesn't stop Robert from trying to talk to him some more, saying things like, you can't even tell if it's a girl or a guy if you shut your eyes. What? <laughs> oh my goodness, Bishop. Like, this is... <sighs> oh my gosh. Mm-mm. He then offers Stephen to live rent free if he agrees to allow Robert to um, do things to Stephen. But Stephen... I'm going to need that in a contract. <laughs> <laughs> okay. No, Stephen just he refuses. He's just like, absolutely not. Like, I don't get down like that. Mm-hmm. You know, like no matter how many times Robert tries to spin it. He apparently even says, like, wait, I went to a frat party once. Robert, again, okay. I went to a frat party once, and, like, it was dark in there, and someone started to go down on me, and then they turned on the lights, and it was a guy. And I was like, oh, shoot, I thought it was a girl the whole time. Oh, well, okay, cool. I'm like, wait a minute, why are you at a frat party? When was this? Like, it's just bizarre. So, yeah, Robert has his little quirks. But as the police are interviewing Steven... Okay, there's a few things going on in the background. They're looking into everyone's background, number one. Number two, they're looking at phone records because maybe whoever was calling Stephen and Velma were connected to Latrice's murder. Mm -hmm. And they're also running DNA. So starting with the background, nothing noteworthy for Darren, the husband, or Stephen, the lover. Okay, According to a WRAL news article, though, Robert had quite the history he had been arrested in the past for charges related to sexual misconduct you don't say yeah it started in 1987 when he was accused of being sexually inappropriate with a boy who was under the age of 17 disgusting yeah he had to leave the church and he was charged for it but there's not much information on this he was then convicted of some sort of third degree sex charges this was in 1988 and he did serve time for that but they did not give details about that case either they also mentioned that even prior to these cases in 1982 he had been charged with simple assault and battery so there was a lot here but i mean he has it just kind of shows that he has this habit of like being inappropriate with boys you know what i mean it's not really showing much of anything else as it comes to Latrice. So they also look at phone records. Um, They were actually able to figure out that the phone numbers calling Steven and Velma was coming from a cell phone registered to... Robert. The church where Robert worked. Okay, so, I mean, that shows Robert is a stalker. Maybe he's slightly obsessed with Steven, but it doesn't mean he killed Latrice. That is until they got phone records back that placed him at the scene of the murder on that specific night in the wee hours of the morning. You're done. Robert, you are done. And then 
the DNA comes back. And specifically from the steering wheel, it excludes Darren, the husband, Stephen, the lover, but they cannot exclude Robert. So they have no choice but to arrest Robert for the first degree murder of Latrice. Her parents are flabbergasted by this, okay? Everybody is. Her husband says in a news article, like, I don't even know who this man is. Like, this is so random. And her dad too. Her dad's head was spinning because he's like, there's one girl in all of this and just three men, right? Mm -hmm. Like, the possibility of three men hurting her. It's just bizarre. But he's like, I never heard of Robert. Okay, so Robert's trial begins in September of 2009 and his defense attorney argues that the police should look at Stephen. They also argue that because Robert had been stabbed in his left arm during a robbery a few years ago, that he did not even have the strength to commit the crime. Prosecutors, however, are confident they have the right man. At 2.30 a.m. on January 30th, 2008, right? So that's the day Latrice's body was found. A master code is entered into the alarm system at Robert's house because someone has come in, the alarm has been triggered, right? Because mm-hmm. Stephen set it at 1.30 a.m. So the interesting part is Stephen used a different code. Only Robert knew the master code. So right there, they're like, oh, he's entering the house at a certain time. Mm-hmm. That doesn't fit his timeline. He says that he was home all night. Which brings us to Willie May, his sister. She says she does not remember seeing him at home when she goes to bed at around 11 p.m., which is strange because he said he got home at 10 p.m. She does remember seeing him in the morning, though, like fast asleep in his bed. To prove that Robert was strong, the prosecutor calls a man named John to the stand. And John talks about a time in October 2007 when he was repairing the alarm system at Robert's house. And he says that Robert came down in some shorts and a a wife beater. (laughs) Oh, Lord. And he starts to talk to him about sex and women, like trying to have guy talk with him. He says suddenly Robert grabs his arm and dragged him towards the bathroom while saying, please, just let me do what I need to do to you, please. And John says, when he was doing that, his grip was so strong, he just couldn't believe how strong the grip was. Like this 50-something-year-old man could hold on to his arm like this. Like John is like in his 20s or something. Mm -hmm. John said he ran and he never came back. He left the paperwork, he left everything. He just was like, nah, I'm good. Get somebody else to do it. (laughs) And he was out of there, okay? Another victim comes forward and says that Robert tried to get him too. He says that in 2005, Robert offered him free rent. So he he obliges, he moves in with him. And Robert eventually started with his shenanigans of, if you close your eyes, you'll think it's a woman. (laughs) And he kept just asking him like, please just let me do this to you, okay? For my own pleasure. And when he said no, Robert had him arrested for stealing and for causing damage to his property or something. The charges were eventually dismissed, though. There's no 
real like articles out there explaining the case much so mm-hmm. not much on that I think at this point you're probably like why did Robert kill Latrice like what happened so prosecutors try to paint the picture for the jury and they say that when Latrice left the house Robert was likely waiting outside and he was probably enraged by the fact that you know Stephen was having sex with her and so his, and it wasn't him right and so his calls to Stephen's girlfriend kind of makes sense where he's like tell him to stop doing what he's doing you know it, it I mean it turned out to be him and by the way he called that phone his fun phone he would have just like fun like using I don't know but he, he called his fun phone and it's literally labeled that in the court documents so the prosecution says that when Latrice left, she probably, you know, she started driving home. She calls her husband. She calls Stephen and stuff. And she pulls over at around Buffalo Road, which is about 15 minutes to Raleigh. Okay. Mm-hmm. And they think she pulled over because she likely was just freaking out about the condom and was trying to get it out or something like, oh, my gosh, I cannot go home like this. You know, that's one theory. One theory I thought about is, like, is someone telling you to pull over? Is he, like, you know, if she knows Robert and she sees him and he's, like, pull over, pull over. I got to talk to you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it could have been something yeah. like that, too. Sure. I don't know. But they're not really clear on whether she actually knew Robert, which is which is very interesting. Like, they don't really talk about if she had any interactions with him, but he mm. clearly knew her. So the prosecution's theory is that Robert likely went up to her car, saw that she was double parked and said like, hey, is there, you know, what's going on? And maybe she was upset. And he said, you know, I'm from the church. Like, I like we can have a conversation. You could tell me what's wrong. Like, you seem like you're in distress and stuff. And like he used that Mm -hmm. opportunity to get in her car and murder her, start stabbing her relentlessly. He started stabbing her in the car? That's That's what they started, yes, because there was so much blood all over the car. Oh, wow. Yes. So if that Mm. trooper would have walked up to her car at that time, he would have seen the blood. But they're never clear on her time of death. They're never clear on that. Now, you're probably wondering about the phone call to her, like, best friend, Steven also got a similar phone call at around two in the morning, but he didn't answer. It was like, you know, he woke up and saw he had missed a call. The police actually had found her phone very far away from her body and it was turned off too. So they think that, you know, Robert was calling and kind of taunting her best friend, taunting Steven, mm. just doing weird shit, basically. Um... And the phone had also been exposed to rain and elements, but they were still able to like kind of retrieve stuff from it. The prosecution just thinks that, you know, Robert was just very angry by the fact that she could have Steven, but he couldn't have Steven. And my other question was, hmm, why wasn't he angry at Velma? But I don't know if Velma was going over to the house. Right. I think only Latrice was going over to the house. Mm -hmm. But I know Velma, looking at this case, was probably like, damn. That could have been me. That could have been me. That could have been me. You know, because 
like really what made him pick Latrice over Velma but again I think like maybe Latrice was going to his house but Velma might have not been going to the house mm-hmm. but he did have he did find Velma's number he did slash her tires he did so he did and they did find a knife in his car but not much is known about the knife and whether it is the murder weapon Nonetheless, the jury comes back pretty quickly and they find him guilty of first degree murder and he is sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Now, of course, he tries to appeal the case later on. And one of the things he argues is about evidence coming in from the two gentlemen, right? One who was the repairman, the other one who had lived with him in 2005. He felt that by bringing it in, it had prejudiced Mm. his case. He felt like they brought it in to show that he had a propensity to do this type of stuff, meaning he did A, so he definitely did B, you know? And so technically under evidence rule, that's not allowed. Mm -hmm. You're not allowed to do that. You can only bring in like stuff like that if, you can show that you're using it for something else. Like you're going to use it for showing motive. You're going to use it to show planning, mm-hmm. preparation. Like there's certain ways to get some type of evidence in. Yeah. But just because you're like, oh, that piece of evidence would be relevant doesn't mean it can necessarily come in. There's a lot of components to it. I'm just like simplifying it. Mm-hmm. But basically, the court said that the prosecution was not bringing it in to say, because he did this to John, it means he murdered Latrice. They're like, no. They're bringing it in to show motive. Mm-hmm. He did this to John. Or actually, it was to the other guy, sorry. It was to the the guy he met in 2005 who lived with him. Okay, so he had this infatuation with that guy. So you can see how it led to him doing, you know, I mean, the guy got arrested, right? Because he rejected his advances. All of a sudden, he also owed him rent out of nowhere. So they're just showing like, there's motive here. Like he he seems to become obsessed with people mm-hmm. and he clings on to them. And, you know, that guy was just lucky to escape. But like here, look at what's happening, you know? So he also kind of tried to say the same thing. He tried to say the same thing about John and bringing in John as the, you know, the evidence or whatever. And they said, no, like that evidence was relevant because it showed that he was strong enough to kill Latrice. Mm -hmm. I mean, you guys brought up the fact that his arm was injured and he could barely move it and it's half paralyzed apparently, but he's dragging John in the house by a few feet. Right. How can you do that if your arm is half paralyzed? So basically, they were just trying to... The court saw that the prosecution, it it was totally fine for them to bring it in, that there was other reasons they were bringing it in that made sense and that did not violate his rights. Um, he He didn't like that, of course, but they rejected... Basically, they rejected his arguments about that. Um... Evidence rules are very complicated. I, I think it was my toughest class in law school. Yeah. There's just so much going on because you could see something and say, that would make sense. If I was on the jury, I would want to hear about this. But the biggest question is, first, is it even relevant to what's going on? And then there's these layered questions of like, would this 
you know, unfairly prejudiced. Right. That's like the catch-all. Like, is, okay, it's relevant and you can have a reasoning to get it in, but then it's, it's too prejudicial. Yeah, it, w- it would be too prejudicial to the case. Yeah. People, the, the thing is with evidence, though, if I'm being honest, it's not like you are putting people on the jury who are, I don't know, like, have the highest IQs or whatever. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying you're putting regular everyday people with different jobs mm-hmm. on the damn jury. Like, that's why the whole propensity argument and rule and evidence never made sense to me because I'm just like, the jury is going to look at the easiest type of explanation for something. Like, they're not going to be focused on the fact that the judge says, only consider this for motive. Right. No, the jury's going to be like, nah, he did A, so he did B. Mm-hmm. So even if you don't want them to consider it for that reason, and you're like, no, consider it for this, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's a little easier to consider it for the other type of argument, which is, well, he did it, so he must have done this. Yeah. He did that shit. You know what I mean? So it's it's also interesting to look at evidence rules under that uh, lens as well, because it's like, um, I remember that in one class in law school, we had to write out jury instructions. It was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. They gave us like, let's just say it was like a statue about murder. And it was, I mean, it was wordy as hell, like, okay. And it was just like, these are the three things you need to um, convict somebody of first degree murder. I tried to rewrite that so many times, but every time I rewrote it, it's like I would be missing an essential part. But I'm like, no, like, how do I say this in a way that people are going to understand? It was so hard. Mm. It was like the hardest thing I've ever had to do. So if you're ever curious, you should just Google jury instructions for your state. Like, just look it up so you can see what they give the jury in the jury room. You know, like, it's so interesting. And see if you would like, honestly, if you would, you would understand what the hell they're saying, because it's like, honestly, some of the words, I'm just like, there are simpler ways to say this. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I, I have my own thoughts on the jury system, but that's for another episode. Um, were you surprised that it was Robert? I definitely was surprised. I thought like it may be Velma. Right. Um, Cause that to me makes sense. Right. You know, like. You're messing around with my man. Yes. So I'm going to take you out. Yes. Um, people, please don't do that. Yeah, don't but, do that. It, ma- it makes sense it just, for the theory. Yeah. Not like, <laughs> it, it doesn't make sense, though, in yeah. real life. Right. Um, and so th- that made sense. Or I thought it was possibly Darren. Mm. Because maybe he found out about a, about the affair. Right. Um, and he was just like in a jealous rage. Right. Um, but then it didn't make sense him being home, her calling him. It's just the motive is there, but the opportunity, like the window of opportunity to me just didn't make sense. Right. Um, unless he was like following her, mm. but if his phone pinged from their house, I'm sure they pulled his record. I'm sure they did. Yes. And they were actually on the phone. You know, right. there's no way to put him there at the crime scene. Right. So. But you know, we've seen cases where people have left their phones at home. Yeah, but if he was on the phone with her at a certain time... Well, they see that, but what's to say he didn't... Either way, listen, they found Robert's DNA. If yeah. Having Robert's DNA there, that's what sealed the deal. Mm-hmm. Because if they didn't have his DNA, he could have argued that it was Stephen because Stephen was using his car. Yeah. However, the court documents does say that Stephen's car was fully repaired two and a half weeks before this happened. 
Oh, wow. So there would have been no reason for Stephen to have to use his car. Unless Stephen was trying to frame Robert. You know? Right. Unless, but, unless. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But Robert's so. DNA was on the steering wheel. And again, like Stephen did not know the master code. Only Robert knew that. So there was mm-hmm. a lot of other elements that like put Robert there. Yeah. But I think if his DNA wasn't on the steering wheel, we would have seen like just this would have gone in circles. Yeah. They arrested Robert, I think, three days in. Two or three days wow. in. So they moved very, very quickly with this case. Um, but I always think about the fact that like one thing changing could have like really changed everything else. It would have been interesting if Robert, he, he was trying to, f- listen, he was definitely trying to frame Stephen. Let's be very clear about that. Like he was also saying during the session like that Stephen had a gun, which I'm just like, okay, but she didn't have gunshot wounds. Right. So apparently he had taken the gun from under like Stephen's pillow, by the way. So Stephen had been looking for it, and the cops found it. <laughs> Apparently, Robert's room. Wow. He was telling the cops, like, you know, Stephen has a collection of swords, this and that. And apparently, according to court documents, with the which the show did not say this, Robert had some types of cuts on his legs. Mm. He said he got it from moving a desk with Stephen. Stephen was like, nah, we moved that very easily. But the show kind of like left out that detail. Mm. They also called Velma Thelma on the show. So <laughs> yeah, little details like that. Mm. Um, and Velma never really comes up in the court documents other than saying like that she had been getting calls and stuff. I don't know if the police interviewed her. I would think they probably did to rule out their, you know, a theory of her, you know, being the one to do this. Yeah. But they really don't talk about it much. You can just assume that that's likely what happened though. I know for me, this case caught me off guard. Like I was not expecting it to be Robert. And a he, bishop. A bishop at the church. All people. At the church, like what? Another member of the church, I wanna say he was like a bishop or a pastor was on the show and he was shook y'all cause he knew the bishop, okay? And he was saying how he is so careful now when he like, who he calls a friend. He was visibly shaken by this. He's like, I cannot believe he did this. I would never think he would do something like this. So, wow, I cannot believe it. Like, it just, he says, it makes it harder for people to trust the church. And it's so true. Mm-hmm. Every time I hear something like this or, you know, all that stuff happening with Catholic priests yeah. and like the cover up and stuff like that. Remember I told you I read a story about Stepanak High School in White Plains, oh, yeah. New York recently and how um, a guy actually committed suicide years later um, because of the abuse he suffered at Stepanak by the pastor there, which is That's insane. So yes. And he had kids and everything. And he just... So yeah, this stuff really sticks with you. But the other thing is like, I mean, the Catholic Church, that's a whole other different thing. If you're interested though in it, I highly recommend the movie, um, what's it called? Spotlight. Rachel McAdams is in there. Mm. Um, And it's really, really informative. They basically bring down the Catholic Church in this like, it's a real story. It's a true story. You know, they, they start basically calling out the Catholic Church and saying like, 
listen, like you have these priests who are being accused of, of touching children, especially boys, and you're reassigning them to different parishes and saying that they're on leave or on vacation and you allow them to come back. So you're allowing this to happen. That movie is really like mind blowing. So if you want to watch it, highly recommend. But yeah, that's the case of Latrice Curtis, which I know it was a lot. It was a lot and it's just just so uncalled for and random so random so random i know so sad i know her her dad is just heartbroken and her mom and brother again they're not on the show they don't they this has the family shook yeah okay it's like they would never think that this would happen to latrice but people are evil people are evil and they they allow emotions to rule them to us to a point where it's just like it's not even rational. And you stole, you know, someone's life. You took someone's life away for what? You thought Stephen was going to be like, all right, like, I'll close my eyes. I'll, I'll let you do it. Like, no, he said no so many times. Like, what made you think that he was suddenly going to say yes? Thought he was smarter than everyone, could outsmart the cops, outsmart everyone. Like, no. I'm it's glad just, they got your ass, like, within two days, two or three me days. Me too, and I just don't understand that. Like, this is a grown man. He knows better, as in Robert. Yeah. And he, I'm sure he can find people who are, who are willing. willing to do it. Yes, like, willing, I was thinking about that. And I just don't understand that. Why are you taking avan- trying to take advantage of people, you know, right. without their consent? Right. It just doesn't make sense. He just... I thought about that. I said, use the fun phone to make some fun calls to people to people who want to actually who are down for this. Who are is what I'm willing saying. to participate? Who want the same thing that you listen? Want. They I could e- they could even role play it for you. They could pretend that they're straight and right, like, and they can, I, I can't. You know, I can't consent. do it exactly. Know, but they but... consent and they and they and that's what they want to do. But he right. wanted so badly for these men to do this when that's not what they wanted to do. It has to be like a power. Thing. It's definitely a power of wanting thing. It's definitely control a power thing. over someone. Yes. Um, maybe someone that he knows is straight, even. Right. Like that is just yes. I think some that's sort what of it fetish. Is. No, or... I think I a hundred percent think that's what it is. Yeah. Like he just he was doing it for that purpose. Like there's something else he was getting from that. Yeah. That he couldn't get by just hiring somebody. Mm-hmm. But it's ridiculous. So bizarre. And kills Latrice, but doesn't kill Velma. Knows about Velma because he calls her right and slashes her tires maybe velma was next maybe velma was next mm-hmm. right let me kill everybody who he's close to so he has to come to me yeah Boom. that's very sick so sick he's exactly where he needs to be it's just you know it's it's unfortunate i'm just glad he's never getting out But anyways, that concludes this week's episode. We're sending so much love to Latrice's family and her Mm -hmm. friends. I can't even imagine, you know, this tragedy. It just, I hate, it's so hard doing cases like this every single week. Not gonna lie to y'all. It Mm -hmm. is very heavy. And you start to see that, like, you start to kind of lose hope in humanity a little bit. You really do. But... These stories yeah. need to be told, and we're here to tell them. But anyways, stay safe out there and keep your head on a swivel because it is spooky season year long. Okay? Mm-hmm. All right, y'all. Bye. Bye, guys.